And I think this is a good strategy. You say no to most everything. Then when you see the thing that you're like, this is it, you go 100% all in on it. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. All right, we're live. You you didn't know enough about Red Ventures to bring that up? Uh, I talked to somebody who sold their company to Red Ventures, and they were telling me about it, and it was like, I, was, I just made a note. I was like, fascinating, got to go research more. So I put it on here just to be like, I'm going to go research more. And then you added, I know a lot in all caps. So you already yeah, know well, a lot, which is great. Maybe. We, we, we could talk about it later. Also, another thing that I actually forgot to add this. I was watching the UFC fight. And do you remember about four weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, we discussed this business of giving away like cars. And yes. you have to... Um, I saw an ad at the bottom of the UFC fight. And I think that like one way that I find ideas is anyone who's doing brand advertising. So there's two types of... Well, I guess there's many types of advertising. But there's the first type is performance, which is... Uh, you click on something, and I could dire- I could see 100% when you purchase, and I could see everything about that, and I could like attribute. It's it's attribution market marketing, performance marketing is what it's called. The second is brand marketing, so like billboards or what's another example? I don't I don't even know. Yeah, just TV commercials, right? You you do a commercial you don't know necessarily, and they try to measure it, but in reality, Budweiser when they run a commercial at the Super Bowl, it's because they're trying to build awareness. They want Budweiser to be top of mind. Maybe they want to talk about their zero calorie beer they're just trying to build awareness and they're not directly hoping that you watch that open up your phone buy budweiser right that moment that's not the way that 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 marketing is designed they hope that you eventually walk into the store and it influences you this is what geico does and often early stage companies particularly tech companies who are like savvy with internet marketing start with performance and then when they exhaust that then they go all right now like we need to like just we just need more people in the world to know about this product and so what i love doing is i like looking at who's doing brand advertising because not always but often that means that they're like crushing it yeah it's right? like buying art if you're buying art you're rich if you're buying brand ads your company's rich yes that's a great example and i saw uh ufc they have this ad for Watch Gang. And I think Watch Game maybe sponsored in an embedded episode. But then also, like before one of the fights, it said, this episode is brought to you by Watch Gang. Get an, a Rolex every month. And I was like, yeah. what is going on with that? What is that? I've never heard of Watch Gang. And I know a little bit of what watches, or at least I'm a fan. And so I don't want to, even though I am kind of bringing it up, but I don't want to get into it too much. But they were doing, I went to watchking.com and they were doing a contest for a Rolex. Giving away a Rolex. Yeah. This, so uh, my coworker at Twitch, uh, when I was there, he, um, he came up to me and he shows me his watch. And I'm like, Hey man, nice watch. He's like, I got this in this, uh, this watch club that I'm in. So uh, tell me more. And he tells me about watch gang and he's like, yeah, I found this website. I had no idea if it's a scam or not. He's like, it's crazy. This watch is like a $250 watch and I'm paying 30 bucks a month. Like I don't really understand every month. They send me another watch. And I was like, I was like, okay, sounds fishy. Like uh, he's like, yeah, exactly. So I didn't even know if anything would come, but like, look at this, it's here. And um, and so then I went and, and played with it, and it's like one of these like super optimized websites. It's like you you open up the website, bam, let me get your email for this thing. Oh, you don't want the email? Spin the wheel and win some more. Oh, you spun the wheel. Okay, you have thirty seconds to finish your checkout, or else you're gonna like uh, your family will be taken ransom. And so it's like this like, and if you go to it, it's just like one hero image. And then it's like, uh, you know, the tagline basically is, uh, you know, get new watches sent right to your door. Do you keep them? You sure do. Are the watches good? No, sir. They're amazing. 
right? So it's like well-written copy, huge hero image. I'm like, this site prints money. And so I just made a mental note about Watch Gang at that moment. And it's like a mystery box. Like you don't know which watch you're going to get. You might Is get one of the like works? thousands of dollars watches or you might get the like $100 watch, but you're always getting a watch of good value. And the weird thing is, who needs this many watches? I don't know. Nobody needs 12 watches a year as far as I'm concerned, but maybe I'm just not the demo. Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. Yeah, so when I see this stuff, like if you're in the internet long enough, which you know is not that you don't need to do it that much in order to see that when you see something like this, you're like something is going on to where it's maybe a scam and full of it, but also like if you told me this made two hundred million dollars, I would be like, yeah, 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 I, I, I totally buy it. I, it's an arbitrage not, place, yeah. so it's the same way that like um, you know most of the D 2 C brands they're not like truly making the best products, but they're like, look, if we're really good at Facebook marketing, or if we're really good at affiliate marketing, or if we're really good at whatever influencer marketing, then we could build like Movement Watches. They built a hundred million dollar plus luxury watch brand in two years. They made it sound like an old school brand. They, you know, they they partner with all these influencers. They use this, mar- it's, it's a marketing company, not a watch company, really. And so that's what this is for sure. This is a marketing company, not a watch company. They could swap this out and do this with golf clubs. They could do this with shoes. They could do this with whatever. You could just, you could take this watch gang website and you could do it with sneakers right now. And I think you would do pretty well. I think there's something with the, there must be something where they're getting the watches, you know, super discounted somehow, like. These might be like out of style watches or refurbished or something. I don't know what they're doing, but there has to be some way that they're able to give you this watch and still make money in the something. What I don't, I don't know if it's thirty bucks still or I don't know how much this. I don't know why I, I saw the ad. Whenever I see people advertising on the UFC, I think uh, they're like there's a lot of new brands like Manscaped advertises there, and I had heard of Manscaped, and then they advertise in the UFC. I'm like, oh, they they must be monsters. They, well, you huge. have to be okay with your logo getting covered in blood. And I think most brands just don't want that. And then the brands that were okay with that got this big upside of a huge amount of eyeballs for a very low, uh, very low ad cost. And so early on, you know, it looked like NASCAR. Every fighter would come out and they'd have like 50 logos of like from their mom and pop, like barbershop in their local town to like, you know, some random insurance company or, uh, you know, energy drink or whatever. And they've been trying to get it more and more mainstream. Although they just announced a $175 million deal with crypto.com or mycrypto.com. I saw that. Is crypto.com scammy or legit? I don't know anything about it. Well, they offer 8% uh, return, 8% cash back. Uh, so, so that's how you know it's uh, it's probably not totally... Uh, uh, it's not that it's a scam. It's again, it's like these sort of hand wavy types of things. It's like, yeah, you get our crypto card. It's a metal card. It's awesome. And then when you spend... You earn 8% in crypto bucks. It's like, wait, what's a crypto buck? That's our own currency we created. It's like, oh, God. It's like, you got to hold 5,000 crypto bucks, and then you earn the 8%. It's like, oh, dude, do I want to go buy $5,000 of your crypto buck in order to earn the 8% here? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, they they let a lot of stuff like that and advertise with them. But um, I want to bring up 
a couple topics. You have a few ideas, but you talked about this house thing. So I want to ask yeah, you so, about that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm on wanna, vacation. Then, yeah. First time since COVID, we went to uh, Vegas and I'm staying in a house. Uh, I'm staying with somebody and their house is unbelievable, dude. I am in like, this, like, like, a, I walk- like a family member. This is somebody I'm related to. Yes. So this is, this is a house that's, I think it's worth like probably $15 million and $15 million in San Francisco will give you a fat house. $15 million in Vegas will give you what, what I'm in. I'm in a resort. I'm in a personal resort. Like I was walking in and I was like trying to not trip into the koi ponds along the way, just to the door, door opens up. There's a freaking, you know, from the hotel, that little, what the bellman has that cart to take your shit to your room. They have, they have one. one of those. Cause the room is so far away from the door. Cause there's just so big of a house. And uh, so I use that. I get to my room. My room is like, you know, everything's magical, dude. We were eating dinner. And then all of a sudden, like a convertible, the roof retracted from over our heads. The walls disappeared. They went away. And then we all went swimming in this pool that surrounds the dining room while looking out at downtown Vegas. It's, It's unbelievable. And the reason I say this is because I thought I knew how much money I wanted. I thought I knew what I wanted. And now that I've stayed in this house... I'd like some more money, please. That's that's my brutally honest how much feeling, my raw emotion that I have 24 hours into this house is oh fuck. This okay, yo, yeah, I can be happy without this. But but why can't I do this too? This is this is pretty nice. I've never seen how I've much never do you think this. you need to have to have a fifteen million dollar house? What do you think your 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 like investable asset, like relatively liquid net worth needs to be like 60, 70? I, th- I think a hundred to be safe, seventy if you're sixty, seventy if you're uh like 50 i guess if you're if you're just kind of like playing it you're you're comfortable with it being riskier i guess or like if that 50 60 that you have is not totally at risk you could say oh okay you know i've i've got that cashed out i'm gonna put it in safe investments and 15 million i'll put into my house um this house was previously owned by somebody who's like kind of what their grandfather started like caesars or one of the casinos two of the casinos downtown and so it's like a billionaire family and then they sold the house to these guys and then they uh and then actually the funny thing is they sold the house uh, and then they regretted it. As soon as they sold it to him, the day later, they were like, hey, you know, the broker calls. Broker says, my client really regrets selling that house. Oh, uh, no. And, and it was one person living here. So it was like this – it's this enormous like, you know, 30-car garage, bowling alley type of thing. I don't know if there is. I haven't even explored the whole house yet. I've only seen like one-fourth of the house so far. But um, she called back. I'll give you a million dollars extra in cash just to have the house back one day later and they turned it down. <laughs> Dude, I think that's cool. I, I love visiting that in my head. I think I actually don't want that. Maybe, maybe it's because if you're wealthy enough to buy that and you just have people who could take care of it. But when I think of owning something uh, that expensive and that nice, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need to take care of it. Yeah. That sounds so like I a think, lot of work. Uh, I think that's true for most things. I feel differently about a house for two reasons. One is I think a house like this makes sense when you have what they have, like tons of kids, basically. So you have you have a, like a full family, uh, right? They got four kids, and it's like um, this is your family's compound. It's like this is your home base. Your kids, like you kind of you wouldn't really do this. I don't think if you're a bachelor. If you're a bachelor, you want to be you know penthouse in Manhattan or something cool like that. But this is different. This is like it's a suburban home, right? But it's like a family compound. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is. A yacht or like cars, those are like low use, high maintenance. Whereas a house is like tremendously high use and actually quite low maintenance for for most homes. Most homes because 
for, you know, they have a cleaning staff, they have like people that can come take care of stuff. And yeah, there's bills. I'm not saying there's no bills. I guess what I'm saying is it's not like a car where you're worried about it getting scratched when it goes that when you go park it anywhere or you drive it anywhere. And most of the time it's just sitting idle, unused in a garage with a tarp on top. In this case, for a house, you're constantly in it. You're constantly using it, especially if you have a big family. So I would say house is the one area where I would splurge. Uh, almost every other material possession, like fancy clothes, cars, it just doesn't make sense to me. When personally. I hear about people like this, I always the same question pops up in my head, which is how much do they spend per month? So if you had to guess this person's total family uh, expenses, including the house, what would you guess? It would, I, I imagine including you get a mortgage on a do you get a mortgage on a fifteen million dollar house? I, like Randy Moss said, straight cash, baby. They had to, they had to, to in order to get the house, they had to like go in. Oh my gosh! With, so you don't have a mortgage cash. on the house. Normally, a mortgage. I mean, I think so. You what could they do get, is they could finance it afterwards. So they buy it in cash, and then they'll go and they'll refinance it. Basically, get get they'll cash out. You know, they'll leave thirty percent down, and then they'll take the other seventy percent. They'll pay you know some percentage. But for this, you can't even get a traditional mortgage for this. Yeah, you get uh, like or, a rich or, person. So, so they got like a, a hard money loan, basically, if they wanted to cash it out. Or, or okay, so including it. that, it, it, uh, let's not include that. That's hard to include, yeah, because that's even hard to calculate. I don't even know what that. I mean, that could be like a hundred grand a month. I, I don't know what it'd be. Yeah, that's I don't know a lot. But if you just uh, said life expenses, life expenses, not including the house, which is a, a, a ton. Yeah, I would not be surprised if it was between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars a month. That'd be my no. I, would, I wouldn't way. be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. That's so much money it, to spend. It could be a little less. It could be 70. It's definitely not less than 50 is my guess. That's I'll ask crazy. him today. I'll find out when we're for the that's next time. We'll, that's we'll, a good question. Um, just yeah. like, what's your burn? Yeah, what's uh, exactly? What's your burn? That's a good question. So let me tell you really quick. And uh, so this house, this there's a lot next to my house that, I mean, you know that little crappy shack that was next to my house? Yeah. It's for sale. I think I'm going to buy it and I'm going to build a house there and try to sell it or rent it out. And I'm excited to do this. And I'll, and I'll talk about this on this podcast. I'm excited to do it because I've never done a project like this. I've never done like a physical business, really. Right. I've only done, uh, you know, digital, digital stuff. And I think it's going to be exciting. Do you think it's a stupid idea or a smart idea? No, I think it's a smart idea because it's going to like kind of change the way you look at the world a little bit. And it's right next to you. If this was like even two miles away, I'd be like, nah, dude, it's just a headache. When it's literally right next to you, that takes a lot of the like, overhead of managing a project or even thinking about a project or researching whether this is a good or bad buy. It's like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? You're going to have a house next to the house you have. You already like this neighborhood. You already like being there. Your friends are all there. You're going to be able to like Airbnb this with low maintenance because it's right next door. You know, you'll never have to worry about it. And uh, your friends can come crash there when it's not rented out. Um, or you can like expand to it if you build your dream house, right? You can build your dream house right next to you, which is a fun, th- fun project to do for you and Sarah. And uh, then maybe you leave your house, or you go to that house if you like build it for it takes a year to build or whatever. So I think it's a great idea. Um, and it's not like it's not about it's not a financial idea, in my opinion. It's a it's a life idea. It's a, it's a fun thing to do that will probably break even or be profitable when you do it. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 
what I'm learning uh, about finances is that, you know, you and I talk about investing in different stuff. You can just, just your, your average Joe has access to this as well. So this isn't like, it, there's just, if you just park it into a general fund, like a general index fund, life is so easy and you get almost amazing returns like compared to everything else. <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? Like it's so easy and you don't have to well, think. Well, you need oh. a big base, right? That's the problem for most people. Yes, that that vehicle is available for most people. But let's say you're getting 7% a year, you put $100,000 in. Okay, cool. You made $7,000 pre-tax, right? Now you have 107000 You need to let that shit compound for like 15, 20 years and like Charlie Munger once said when they asked him, what, hey, you, your guys' playbook seems pretty simple. Why don't more people do it? He said, no one wants to get rich slow. I think that's the problem is that nobody wants to take a small base and let it compound for 20 years or very few people do. And that's that's the issue there. Yeah, it is. It's boring, but it works. And then um, I want to bring up one quick topic. I yeah. met three interest two three interesting people this week so i think people like hearing this i enjoyed hearing this about this 15 million dollar house all right i met this guy named jason have you ever heard of this company called blockworks blockworks no is this like a construction company no it's right up your alley it's a media it's basically like the hustle like morning brew like axios but for crypto oh okay nice. i think it's blockworks.io maybe dot co maybe oh is it dot co um yeah. So Blockworks, it's this guy bootstrapped it. He's only 27 years old. I went to his house last night in New York, uh, in Brooklyn. Awesome business. Probably will do eight figure or yeah, maybe 10 north of 10 million in revenue this year. Completely bootstrapped. Started it because he used to monetize. So he was like 23 years old and he cold emailed Pomp and said, listen to this podcast I'm working on. Come to this event. Just like He was just like constantly emailing him. Pomp, Pomp, who's this big Bitcoin guy, but who was less of a big Bitcoin guy years ago, said, all right, you've been emailing me too much. Whatever. You're persistent. I'm thinking about launching this podcast. I need help launching it and monetizing it. Do you want to help? This kid, uh, he was a kid at the time, said yes. And then eventually launches a crypto media company called Blockworks. He launches it three or four years ago. It's only an LLC, so he completely owns it. It's not like they didn't raise any money. Really fascinating business. Very simple. And he just picked the right category. And now they're doing conferences. It's a slick looking website, right? Yeah, you go to it. It looks like Bloomberg or something. You know, it looks like a proper. You know, it just looks like a template of a good news site <laughs> in general. And so, yeah, how I big think is said, like the subscriber base to this, right? So, like, is this done through email or is it done through direct site visits? They make a lot of money through email, and then they have podcasts. So, so there's and then they have conferences, thing. and so they, they have a conference that he, for for what it's worth, showing them close to half a million visits a month. Yeah, so it's not. It's probably that's like if you look at our uh, traffic, the hustle.co, Maybe we were uh, two times that, and I know that we had eight hundred thousand to a million a month. Right, and um, and we had talked about Coin Market Cap recently, which was. Uh, probably the bigger player in this space. So CoinMarketCap sold to uh, Binance, I think. And how much did they sell for? It was like hundreds of millions, right? Hundreds million of millions. It, if it didn't sell for that, it's worth that. And the shocking thing was that CoinMarketCap had like a larger uh, monthly traffic volume than I think the New York Times or, or Wall Street Journal, I think it was, uh, which just shows you like the level of interest. Like when we talked, we, we joked about this. We was like, oh, like, how do we make this podcast grow? And I was like, pivot to crypto. There's just like this insane appetite for crypto content because people get in, they think they're going to get rich. And every day there's a news cycle of like, the world is, the world is you know, we're going to the moon or the world is crashing and like, what's going on? And so crypto was a, a phenomenal 
um, place to go. So I like Blockworks. I want to share one thing, but did you have something else on Blockworks you want to share? I have a topic related to Blockworks. No, he, it's just an interesting business. I just thought it was interesting. It's just not... How big is the team? It, it, uh, look at their about page. It looks like they have 20 people on board. Um, nice. I don't know who's full-time and who's not full-time. but And then if you click their podcast, they have like 12 podcasts. It's like a type of company where uh, you... It, it, it is sexy in that like it's a media company for crypto. I mean, that's definitely sexy. But the guy is he's 27, but he runs it just like a small business where he just he just slowly adds and adds right. and adds. And I think it's really fascinating. I think they're I think if I had a bet and I don't have uh I, I just got to know him and I don't we didn't even talk about this. If I had a bet, I, I would imagine you're gonna see this company sell for in the forty to fifty million dollar range in the next eighteen months. And I just wanted to bring it up now to call it out uh about like see it before it actually happens. Right. I, I would take the over on that. I think it's going to sell for more if, if the numbers you're saying are, are what it is. Just looking at it, I think um, traditional well, media, media companies don't sell for that much. If it's only, I don't know what the revenue is exactly, but I, it's in the range of 10 million. If, it, if they only do, let's say, 9 million in revenue, that's probably only worth $25 million. But um, you're not putting the crypto premium, right? So, the, so companies sell based on their story. And I think the story here is going to be that. Hey, look, this is where this is where financial news is going. Financial news being probably the biggest, kind of most valuable segment of the news. Uh, not biggest in terms of popularity, but most valuable per per user, right? So the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, is a very valuable publication because every one of their users is interesting and interested in investing somewhere between thousands or millions of dollars. And so I think if you're crypto, if you're the crypto Bloomberg or you're the crypto Wall Street Journal, um, like we saw that coin market cap sold for several hundreds of millions, not necessarily because their revenue was that much higher, but because a big exchange wanted to grow and exchanges are worth like Coinbase is worth 80, 80 to $100 billion. So uh, Binance similar, like these company, the exchanges are so big, they were like, great, we need a media arm, right? This trend we've been talking about, HubSpot, oh, we want a media arm. Robinhood, we want a media arm. And so they've been buying up media companies in order to own their own media arm, which is basically cheap user acquisition for them. And so whether it's them or it's a traditional media company that will buy, I don't know. But I do think that a crypto news site is going to get whatever whatever a normal media site would sell for, I'd put a two and a half X on it for for crypto right now. Because could be. Um, I, I wouldn't doubt it. And, and and what I told him is what I would tell the audience as well, which is sell to a tech company. Don't sell to a media company. If you want yeah. to create a media company <laughs> Build it in hopes of selling to a tech. Sam's company. like make a list of enterprise SaaS companies. Then <laughs> sell, it's just like sell it's to them so, and take an all stock deal. All right, now now you have set yourself up. No, I'm I'm just saying like, do you think that a media company is going to three x in market cap value like pretty quickly, or do you think that Coinbase will? Yeah, I, I think you, you would much rather go there, right? But yeah, but I would, I would rather day. own fifty million dollars of Coinbase stock than I would of cat uh, of uh, New York Times stock. Right, right. Um, another sort of related thing on this. So I was thinking back, I was doing some reflection uh, yesterday, actually. I was thinking about um, crypto. And, and I don't know if I've told you this story, but basically very early on, uh, my crypto story was like this. We were at lunch at the, uh, I was running an idea lab. So that's a good, good position to be in when new things happen. Running an idea lab. You got a bunch of engineers and designers, you already have funding, and you're ready to take a new idea and just ch chase to market. So Bitcoin, I think at that time had its first kind of pop from like the $7 range to like, I don't know what it was, 20 bucks and then a hundred bucks. And it was all happening within a period of like one or two months uh, that that first spike happened. And then it came crashing down after a hundred back to like 17 or something like that. Exact numbers are wrong, but ballpark, Bitcoin was very cheap back then. And our, um, our sysadmin guy, Pete, uh, who's like kind of like a very early internet guy, like 
would hang out all day at work. He'd be in the IRC channels, not Slack. And he's talking to other sysadmins at other companies and shit like that. And this guy's like, and he was always like a security, like he was always like, ah, oh, these big companies are tracking us. And like, you know, he's the kind of guy that would use DuckDuckGo early on type of thing. And so he was like in the right community for something like Bitcoin. And so he starts telling us, He's like, oh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin's amazing, dude. We're mining. He's like mining it on our servers in the office. He's like, yeah, it's great. I love Bitcoin. And we're like, ah, oh, here's Pete, you know, Pete, who's kind of like a like a more of like a neckbeard archetype, right? He's like, oh, Pete's, you know, really into some something again. Great. Yeah. So what's he worth now? <laughs> well, I didn't take it too seriously, but I think he was more like a lot of people who were early on, they weren't putting a ton of like cash into it. They were mining it or they were like earning it for doing a job and then spending it because they were like wanted to be a part of this new economy. Uh, by the way, have you ever heard that story about Andreas Antonopoulos? Mm-mm. No. Do you know who that guy is? No. Oh, uh, he, it, may, maybe. Is he the guy who looks like, is he Greek? He, I think he's Greek, yeah, based on the name. But he's basically, um, he was like the Bitcoin evangelist. So he was just, when yeah. Bitcoin came out, he was going and talking everywhere. Just talking. About I know who he is as a personality. Bitcoin's amazing. He wrote this Bitcoin book. It's great. And so anyways, he's given like, he spread the gospel. He's like what you need when you have a new movement. It's like, this guy was out. He was, I don't know much about the Bible, but like, you know, he wasn't Jesus, but he's like, you know, Paul or whoever, you know, taking the gospel and going to spreading it. And so he, um, he'd been doing this for years and he had been earning any money he had. He would only take in Bitcoin and then he would spend it on his rent and he would spend it on his coffee. He wanted to live in crypto and live what he was preaching, that this new financial system with real kind of like hard money, true money, uh, sound money, as they say, is, is, the, is the way to go. And so anyways, Bitcoin price keeps going up, up and up. And people are like, oh, Andreas, you must be like a millionaire 100 times over by now. Oh, no. And he's like, well, no, like I was living off Bitcoin. I was spending it like I was like I was earning it for talking at some things, but I didn't charge a ton because I just wanted to get the word out. He's like, and then when I had it, I was using it to pay rent and I have a family. And like, no, I actually I, I actually didn't have a ton. But he wasn't saying it like, you know, pity me. He was just like, you know, contrary to belief, popular belief. Here's the case. And so there's this guy on um, on Twitter, I forgot his name. He's like this famous guy who he forked Bitcoin and like has his own, he owns Bitcoin.com. It's kind of like this, he's not very well liked in the uh, Bitcoin ecosystem. Roger v- Ven, Roger Ver or something like that is his name. So he starts making fun of Andreas on Twitter. He's like, oh my God, the biggest Bitcoin, like, you know, like uh, carnival barker for all these years, didn't even make money when Bitcoin shot up in price to thousands of dollars per coin. Like, like what a joke uh like like nice one schmuck and he starts making fun of him and then the bitcoin community rallied and overnight donated anonymously to his wallet and made made andreas a millionaire in bitcoin overnight um of people people donating money because they were like no i got into it because of this guy he's getting made fun of because he didn't profit off of this like fuck that uh so i thought that was like a pretty cool moment like one of the cool parts of crypto, not the like annoying parts anyways back to my story i'm uh I'm in the idea lab and basically my CTO catches the bug too. And he starts saying, he's like, yeah, fiat is trash. I'm like, what is fiat? Fiat's a car. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, fiat currency. That means currency that, you know, the government makes up and prints like by their, by their fiat, they create this currency. He's like, it's bad. I'm like, well, okay. Why? Like the dollar seems fine. And he's like, yeah, it's fine till it's not fine. Look at the history. And he starts telling me about this, this, this. I'm like, yeah, but that's like ancient history. He's like, just yesterday, Japan announced that they're going to double the money supply in the next 10 years. I was like, oh, that can't be good, right? He's like, yeah, that's massive dilution. That's like if you just d- doubled the shares in this company right now, I would be pissed. And he's like, 
he's like, so he's like, we should do something. I'm like, okay, Paul, like run with it. What's the idea? Normally Paul was the guy I would give directions to. He's not the idea guy. He's like, tell me what to build. I'll build it. I can build anything. And in this case, he's like mocking up a website and he's basically like, crypto doesn't have any of the basic like financial instruments that, uh, that, that the normal economy has. So all we got to do is just build either an exchange or a like, kind of like a, um, maybe like an ACH protocol or like a place to deposit in a savings account. Like we just need something like that for crypto. So he mocks it up. We start going with it. And uh, our idea lab was backed by this couple, Michael and Zochi Birch. It's basically an individual couple who's, you know, independently very wealthy. And so he come, Michael comes by for lunch the next day. He's like, Hey, the lawyer, like our lawyer, Susan told us that you're, uh, you're doing like a Bitcoin project. And I was like, yeah, kind of exciting. Like, and I don't really know it myself. I wasn't the one with conviction. It was like my team and I was just backing them. And so he's asking me, he's like, isn't that like, like kind of like for the Silk Road? And like, isn't that like kind of scammy? And I was like, no, I think there's merit to it, but I couldn't like make a strong case. And he's like, dude, I don't know, man. Like if we do something wrong here in the financial space, like, look, if we, if we make a social app that fails, whatever, I burned a million dollars of funding. If we do something that's illegal, the SEC comes after us, I could lose everything. So like, let's put the kibosh on uh, on our crypto exchange that you guys are trying to like create, like launch tomorrow. And I was like, ah, shit. So I go tell the team and blah, blah, blah. And we, long story short, we do nothing. So we don't launch the thing. I don't buy any Bitcoin at that time when Bitcoin's like under $100. Um, and we we move on with our life. And then like now years later, I'm just chasing that you know crypto dream the whole time, buying it at like, you know, $20,000 a coin instead of when it was at 20. And I was thinking back on it, I was like, what was the right move there? And so I'll kind of lay out my thinking here. I think the right move, and I think many people will come into these situations where a new trend happens and you're, you know, you want to chase it, but there may be risks associated with why you should or shouldn't do it. And um, here's kind of like my my revisionist thinking. You tell me, you tell me, actually, I'll pause there. Tell me what you think I should have done in that situation. Did I make the right move or what could I have done differently? Because I think it's important to kind of learn from our game film as entrepreneurs. Well, so like objectively, you made the wrong move in that you you didn't, we know what the right move was now. Right. But looking back, knowing what you knew, being who you are, I would say, I wouldn't say you made the right move, but I would say you didn't do anything wrong. Right. Okay. So fair enough. So let's say, uh, door one is do nothing always, right? So do nothing. That's what, that's the door we ended up taking. Door two was create and launch this like kind of crypto exchange slash money transit or whatever. That was like where we were headed. What I think was, I should have looked at what does door three, four, and five look like? So the first thing I should have done is I should have bought the currency, right? Um, that, that's kind of an obvious one. If you believe in this thing enough to build a startup around it, you should own some of the underlying asset, um, as, uh, as something you own. So that was like the first part. Second was, when I got pushback from somebody richer, smarter, and more experienced than me, and I didn't have the answer, the answer shouldn't have been, okay, no, okay, I'll stop it. It should have been, well, let us let me put together a case for doing this. Give me a week to put together a case of why we might do this, why this might not be such a bad idea. I agree with your logic. Let me put together a case, and let's start with that. And so I could have took a pause breath, and I could have said, all right, let me go and actually like get to conviction myself. And if I have conviction, I'll convince anybody in the world to do that we should do this. But if I don't have conviction, it's just a matter of I haven't really thought this through enough. And the third option was, or the, the next option was, what are the other things you could have done? So what are the no-risk ways to ride this wave? That's what I think Blockworks did. That's what Coindesk did. That's what Coin Market Cap did. So there, there was other things you could have done. You could have created a media company that said, all right, I'm not going to like try to be a financial exchange and that has some risks. 
but why don't we spin up a media side? There's going to be, if this is going to be a thing, people are going to be interested in the content. We could build that. And then that gives us options to launch more stuff. Uh, so that would have been a smart move. That was zero risk um, financially, as far as like the, the sort of regulations and SEC goes, but still would have been riding that wave. I didn't think about that because I didn't have all these other business models in my tool belt of like what else I could do. Another would have been to, instead of just launching like a media company, it could have been an agency. So we have several friends like Andrew from uh, MetaLab, uh, our friend Greg, who launched Late Checkout. You can launch agencies that help big companies understand what to do with this thing. And you can actually charge a shit ton of money to do this. Consensus is, is the big one right now. That's the big kind of consultancy for this. I think they do over Which, $100 million. We, yeah, we talked about them. They're a, year it's a multi-billion. From, yeah, right. Just from just from this, just from consulting with big companies saying, hey, do you know how to spell blockchain? We can, t- we can spell it for you. And so, um, so basically, there was other business models I could have done. So looking back, I would say that that's one learning I had. And I, I guess like, Going forward, that's I think it's important when these like new waves come out to like dive in on them, learn about them, and then think about, all right, should I try to build the big risky thing? Should I try to build a community? Should I try to build a media site? Should I try to build an agency? Like I have 10 options and depending on my level of conviction, um, I can go in either one of those directions. I can build the audience first. I can build the technology first. I can try to land grab and do something there. We could have created our own currency. There was ten other ideas that we could have done, um, but anyways, this is like a. But to continue know, talking about strategies, it is to continue talking about strategies. My opinion is that you should actually take door number one in most cases. Do nothing, and yeah, and when you see something that you think is like that, this is one life strategy, and I think this is a good strategy. You say no to most everything. Then when you see the thing that you're like, this is it, you go one hundred percent all in on it. Um, right. And and so there's a few examples of this. So uh, and and when you go all in on it, it's a high risk, but it's high reward type of thing. So examples are you become BuzzFeed and Facebook gets popular. You launch an entire media, media company, company on BuzzFeed. Cheddar did this as well. They launched an entire media company off Facebook Live and they sold for two hundred million dollars. Now you have loads of examples of it not working for people. More examples of it not working than it does does work. Right. Um, but when you when you spot these waves, I actually think that uh, like the 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 risk versus reward is far in your favor of doing it. And Bitcoin is one of those where, of course, we know now. You know, you didn't know so then. What what are the hallmarks of a wave? All right, what were some recent waves? And then what? How do you know when it's a wave versus just shiny object distraction? I think engagement for sure. So I think it's it's not the wave is not how many people are using it. But the few people who are using it, how much are they using it? Right. And so I does think this that feel it, like a cult? Do these people seem crazy? Uh, that's actually a very positive signs for waves. Yes, I think that's the the, the biggest one is uh, are people like how into it are they? So like I was just talking to a guy that was selling um, who did a multi level marketing scheme where and he didn't know it at the time, but he was he thought it was multi level, but it was a pyramid scheme. He was like, well, I'm just like a salesperson for this energy drink. Like he was curve. a participant in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was like, but I loved it and I thought it was okay. He goes, and then it took me forever to realize that it was a pyramid scheme. And then I was like scamming people. So I had to bail. But for a long time, I was so into it. And like, when you see like people who are so into something like Amway, like Herbalife, they actually become huge, huge companies. Even if most people don't get it, you you only need a few people that are passionate about it. So it's all about engagement. Yeah, I would say that. So I would say, what are you going to look for with the wave? Second one is complete behavior change. So like Facebook early on was a good example of this, where all of a sudden people were checking something 
like 30 times a day. There really weren't websites that you would go check 30 times a day. And uh, Facebook was one. And so similarly, like Fortnite or Twitch, something like that, it's like, wait, you're just streaming a webcam of yourself for eight hours, like playing video games? It's like, yeah, not a lot of people do it. But the people who were doing it were doing this completely weird behavior that made no sense and had no like real parallels to what people were, what that same person was doing before. And so if it's been able to consume this person's life and change their whole like workflow, then it's going to do that for other people, right? Like uh, remote work is, is like that in a small way, but that's, that's another one. A third one yeah. is, go ahead. A third one is just a technology wave. So a new device comes out that can do something that the other devices couldn't uh, like, Oh, this is a phone. It has an accelerometer in it and a GPS. So now what, what can you create when you have a GPS in your pocket? Well, you could push a button and someone could come find you and pick you up and take you somewhere else using that same GPS. And so like, you know, rideshare became enabled because this new device was there. Or you have a camera in your pocket at all times. Well, then I guess people are going to take way more photos than they were before. All right, that's when you get Instagram, you get Snapchat. So I think the technology wave is the other one. Yeah, there's a bunch of these. And 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 it's actually fun to talk about. Like we all know what the waves are, but there, let's talk about some of the waves that we've seen recently that actually turn out not to be waves um, or... Yep likely won't be waves clubhouse is one of them um yep. a lot of people de dedicated a lot of stuff to them i could have seen a, a startup raise money on top of uh a clubhouse show or something like that right um and, and but 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 i don't actually hate people taking that shot and i think that a lot of people do right and, and i think i you, think it's, you have to it's, measure it's, how much do you have to lose like for example in that scenario i was talking about i would have launched the crypto thing because i had nothing to lose our investor who's like basically a billionaire is like hey you know what? I don't mind if you fail on these startups, but like, don't have the SEC come after me. Like, that doesn't seem good. Like, let's not hold like a. If this works, we're gonna have like a hundred million dollars of user deposits that we're like on the hook for. That sounds bad. I don't. I, you know, I, I. It wasn't easy to get this billion dollars. I don't want to lose that. So for him, it was the correct decision to say, let's not risk ruin when you're. You know, when you have nothing, well, you have nothing to lose. And so feel free to go more all in and take more risks faster. And if, hey, if Clubhouse turns out to be a dud, what'd you lose? Six months of your life? You know, like $2,000, it's okay. So since we're talking about reflection and stuff, let me tell you a quick story. So I'm going to send you this guy's LinkedIn. I met this guy this week. I, so I like just hung, last week we were off. I was off. So I, I just went and hung out with people. My friend Joe introduced me to this guy named Val. I don't even know how to say his last name. Um, but Val, I went out to lunch with this guy named Val. So this guy's story is basically he came from uh, a Soviet Union country. I forget. He came from Soviet Union. I forget what it's called now, the area that he was from. Uzbekistan is what it's from. He's a, uh, like a Jewish immigrant from Uzbekistan. He, at the age of 18, listen to this, he started a, a cell phone ringtone business. He was the only employee and it did 10 million in revenue in year three. <laughs> he was started when he was 18. So this is when he was like 21. 10 million. So 10 million in profit, he said. He goes, basically... Selling ringtones to Americans? Yeah. He goes, I was the God, only employee... Amazing. Oh, a kid from... I don't even know what you said. Uzbekistan? Uzbekistan, selling, I believe. Selling $10 million worth of ringtones to stupid Americans. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Isn't that amer uh, amazing? Um, I believe it's <laughs> called... Um, you can scroll down. It's called Tone Media. Uh, I believe that's what it is. Um, on his LinkedIn. Something like that, or Tone Fuse. I don't, I don't even know which one it is. He gets so many of them. And the reason why this guy interests me is, so I'm going to tell you everything that he has done since, but it's all been bootstrapped, no outside funding, and all in different industries. So the first one, um, and he probably has more, but these are the ones he told me about. So uh, a, fo a phone business, the ringtone business, he's, he's like the revenue, and he goes, by the way, revenue and profits are pretty much the same thing because I was the only employee. He was like, it went like 2 million, 
4 million, like 10, and then I sold it. Uh, his second thing was called Mobile Fuse, which is an ad tech company. Uh, it's that's boring. That's not that exciting, but it's a big business. Something like, I imagine, he didn't tell me, but I imagine like 50, 60 million in revenue, pretty big. Then uh, while he was getting that started, he noticed that peer to peer lending was popular. So things like, you know, SoFi? Yep. Stuff like that. So he created a company called Prime Meridian Capital. I've never even heard of it, uh, but I think their URL might be Poise Lending. Basically, at this point, they've given out billions of of peer-to-peer loans. So totally different from ad marketing or ad tech. Then from there, he started a a thing called... I don't even know how to pronounce this. Jacalo. But he was telling me all about this. But basically, a company like Zales... You you know Zales? Or do you know uh, Jake... Uh, K Jewelers, Jared, Ernest Jones, Peoples, there's a bunch of them. So it's all owned by this company called Signet. Signet is a multi-billion dollar diamond business. And what they do is they own all of these brands. And he was telling me, he was like, I was thinking about what makes that company special? And he was like, basically, they have this headquarters where they just look at which diamonds are most popular, uh, which, which brands and which cuts are selling the best. And how can we uh, tell all of our brands what we think are going to be the next big thing? How can we help you optimize that brand by selling a little bit more efficiently? How can we buy in bulk? Things like that. So it was basically, it was just a normal mom and pop store, but we just multiplied it by however many. And so we just created these, these, this trends bit and then this economies at scale, you know, buying in bulk stuff. No, not particularly special, but, but just executed really well. And so what he goes is, well, you know, I'm going to build software. So I'm going to help all the mom and pop jewelers do that same thing. And so we went and started this new company. And if you look at his LinkedIn and go to the website, you can see it looks like really janky, really simple. Um, but they, uh, what they do is a mom and pop brand can sign up, and they'll uh, the, the 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 name of the company. I think it's called. Jack, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's a horrible name. How do you say that? Jacalio. Jacalio. It's yeah. it's really bad. Uh, so Jacalio will help you get bulk discounts, but then will help you uh, spend your marketing. So it's almost a little bit like a part agency, part buying in bulk, part um, CRM, where you could like look at sales and like fit, help predict which is going to be the most popular in order in bulk. And I believe it, this company is going to be doing around eighty or so million in revenue. Um, wow! And so this freaking Jeez. guy, we'll have to like he's he he he's English as a as a second language, and he's real quiet, and he's real understated, very low key. And he was just telling me all about this, and I had a few learnings. The first is just it, it's crazy. The story the first, so, I haven't done shit in my life. The second, this guy's a fucking beast. Third, <laughs> yes, he, he just and he didn't. He's not flashy. I mean, he had a, a nice watch on, but he had normal clothes, and he and he didn't brag about himself. I had a pull. I pulled it out of him, and he um the the a few things. What we tell ourselves about why we can't do something, it's bullshit. It's mostly bullshit. I mean, some people are more talented than others, but you could just get so much done just by just by working really hard. So what we tell ourselves about why we can't do blank, it, that's nonsense. Second, there's this. I don't know, like some people call it like the, I think it's called the red pill. I forget what people call it, where they like see the world differently. I've hung out with enough people that just crush it. And a lot of people who you don't never even heard of. And I'm and it, and oftentimes I'll like, when I'm looking at this house, I'm like, oh, should I buy this lot? I got to sink this money into it. It's going to fail. But there's so many, there's a few people in this world. And I know a lot of these people who just be like, yeah, of course, just let's do it. And they're just so confident. I actually think you have a little bit of that in you. Um, they're just so confident. And they default to optimism, optimism, and it works so well. It's like this 
this ability. It, it, in this case, it's money, but it could be anything. It, it could be, um, you know, well, we're just going to fly there and we're just going to figure it out. But this is right. like def- default to, yeah, of course it's going to work. A few people have that and that attitude gets you so far. Uh, and and I, I've been able to experience that just by being around some of these people. But it, just a really fascinating person. Wow. I love this. Uh, I love that little story. I love this guy. This is extru- This is really cool. And uh, yeah, I'm impressed. I love meeting these kind of like under the radar, you know, self-made kind of like business badasses that have hopped from industry to industry. It's like the, there's zero luck involved when you're going to do that, right? There's luck is luck is a like kind of a scalar. It's like a multiple of like the thing was successful, whether ringtones were going to be worth 10 million or 20 million or 50 million or 1 million. It was hard to say, but if you're the type of person that's going to make the ringtone business, the mobile ad business, the jewelry, like independent business, the whatever, uh, the, the peer-to-peer lending company, um, you have, you know, the track record speaks for itself. You know what you're doing as far as like identifying an opportunity and then chasing it properly. And I just Googled this guy. Uh, I, it looks like he has a Twitter, but like no followers and he has 200 followers on Instagram and he posts pictures of his vacation with his family, like nothing sexy. I mean, yeah, he's got actually some fancy cars that's sexy, but I guess this whole point of like, you get caught in this bubble of you have to build an audience. No, you don't. Yeah, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't, you don't, you can, and maybe that could be fun for you. You don't, you could do something that no one has ever heard of you. You could just cold call and you could get done what likely whatever you want to get done. And Another thing that I've learned is just intensity. So this idea of, well, you have this ringtone business. That's kind of silly. It's like, yeah, maybe. But I bet you, I, I mean, it could make $10 million a year, which is like crazy right. rich. Um, and and you know, just like of, stepping it up. On the step it up, on the amp it up format, on, on the intensity idea. Uh, so I was working out this morning um, with the guy whose house I'm in. And so he was like, hey, like, I don't know if you're up, but like, Trainers coming at 8 a.m. if you want to get a workout in. So, yeah, fantastic. I'm up. Let's do it. So I go downstairs, home gym, crazy. Go inside. Trainers there. We're doing our thing. And um, and I don't particularly work out. I'm not like a super intense workout guy. Like I'm trying to do well, but like my default is like I, f- I feel the way most people feel when they work out. Like I'm getting super tired. I'm like my muscles are failing. Like they're not – I don't feel like I can do that anymore. You know, like I'm trying. Oh, like if, she, if she's like, all right, how much you want to squat? I'm like, well, I don't really know. And uh, all right, let's start with like a little bit and then like let's go up from there. I'm not like trying to like prove something every second of the, of the workout. But he was talking about um, intensity during the workout. He's a very intense guy. And so he uh, – um, at the end, we were doing abs just to finish. And so we were doing like a, a Russian twist thing or whatever. And he's facing the other direction. He's doing the other ab workout and we're just taking turns. I'm doing mine. He's doing his. I'm doing the Russian twist. And he heard me ask the trainer, I go, should I have my legs in the air? She's like, yeah, that makes it a bit harder. And I was like, okay, cool. Let me try it. And so I was just doing it. Um, it was just kind of like an offhand comment. And then when it was his turn to go to that, and it was like the second round, second set. He's like, oh, I got to I gotta put my legs up now. And she's like, no, 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 you don't have to. You can just put it down. He's like, no, if he's going to do it, then I got to do it. And he's like, he's like, that's the best part about working out with somebody is that their intensity picks you up. And if you pick the right partner, then you match their intensity and you just get that little extra that you weren't going to get if you were on your own. He's like, that's the best part. And I think that's what this podcast is for a lot of people is we are like their workout buddy for their like kind of like the brain workout basically of just thinking about businesses, being excited about things, learning new shit. And so I think that's the benefit we're giving some people through this podcast, but it's also what, um, what like when you go meet this guy, 
and you, you know, what's the benefit of meeting this guy? You're not going to do a deal with him. You're not going to invest in his company. But literally, just having met him and hear, heard his story, all of a sudden now you you can you got red pilled. You're going to see the world differently just because you know that he exists. And when we tell his story now, hundreds of thousands of other people listening to this are going to know that he exists. I think that's really cool, and I think it's something you should be intentional about of getting around other people so that you have those red pill moments and you get around other people's intensity so you raise your game. So let me give this guy a shout out. I'll spell his name because I don't even think I said his last name. His name is Val, V-A-L, last name, Katayev, K-A-T-A-Y-E-V. I don't know how to... I'm sorry, Val. But uh, anyway, that, that's, his, uh, that's his name. Pretty interesting. Dude, if you click like contact info, all of his companies are there. His emails are on his LinkedIn. Interesting guy. Um, okay, so we're like 45. Are we going to go to ideas? Are we going to... Are we gonna? Are we gonna? You want to keep it to this like little? I don't know. What do you What do you want to do with? So I have one that I think is gonna be a good segment. We can finish on that. Let's finish strong. People are gonna be by the end of this. People are gonna be hyped up. All right. So somebody. I think. By the way, I I think they will. Dan, are they gonna be hyped on this? Very hyped. Okay. Very hyped. Thanks. You sound (laughs) great. Dan is trapped somewhere. (laughs) Dan is trapped inside my computer right now. It sounds like. All right. So uh, so I want to finish up with this idea of. Uh, teenage side hustles. So somebody emailed me and they said, Hey, you know, love the pod. My kid is, I think, 12, 13 years old. They're like, I want to get him into entrepreneurship. Uh, my daughter is like 11. My son is 13. I want them both to learn about business. Uh, do you have any ideas for side hustles or a little like kind of like mini hustles that a, uh, a teenager could do? And so it got me thinking. And so I started going down this. I thought this would be a fun brainstorm for us. I do have some ideas that I I wrote down for this, but I basically gave it 15 minutes of thought and I was like, okay, cool. I'll do this on the pod live. What do you think? Great. You, you got to kick it off though, because you, you spent more time thinking about it and then I will, uh, I'll come up with a few while you're talking. All right. So here's the teenage side hustles. I break it down into four categories. So the first one is called blue collar stuff. Okay. So this is stuff people, teens have been doing for a long time, but with a twist here. So uh, local, you know, normal blue collar stuff. You go, you mow lawns in the neighborhood, you deliver the paper, you shovel snow, depending on where you're at. Uh, I think that's all cool. So here's how I would step it up. So I would say, hey, here's one thing we could do, right? We're going to provide a service to our neighbors. But let me teach you in business about leverage, right? We don't want to trade our time for money. I don't want to be the one mowing the lawn. I don't want to be the one shoveling snow. So you could do two things. You could teach them to hire up other kids and basically have the other people in the neighborhood doing the work while you are doing the sales and uh, you're taking in the money and you're paying out from there. So you could teach them labor leverage there. The other way of doing this is you have them uh, learn two things at once. So you have door-to-door sales in your neighborhood. um, But secondly, you teach them about lead gen. So Instead of actually having to do the work, all you need to do is make the sale um, or, or get the warm lead even. So I was thinking you could go in a neighborhood, you could go door to door. So here's my specific idea for, for them. Go, in, go around your neighborhood and you're going you're gonna to knock on the door and you're going to sell one of two things, either pest control. Um, so you're going to say, hey, we live in the neighborhood. You know, Our house and other houses have had issues in the past with pests and infestations and it's better to catch it early before it becomes like a major problem and you have to gut the whole kitchen because you got this, you know, mice infestation or rats or, or, or cockroaches or whatever. And so, um, would you be, would you want a free inspection? Uh, would you be interested in an inspection to let you know if your house is in good condition, bad condition, or needs, needs some work? 
And then basically what you do is you call up the local you know, pest control service and you say, hey, I have 15 houses in my neighborhood that are interested in getting an inspection. And, um, and you know, I think that even if 10% of them or 20% of them convert, that you guys will get some good business out of this. So um, I'm calling up local service, local service providers and seeing if anybody basically would want to uh, want these leads. And I, I have all their information for you. I did the, the first, first contact with them. I have their name, their number, and I have the details about what they're interested, what they're worried about, what they're interested in. And basically I would sell those leads to a local pest control company. And I think you can make good money doing that just around your neighborhood and other neighborhoods. Um, and you would learn that, hey, you know, where is the value capture? The value capture is in getting the customer, not in actually going and looking under the floorboards for cockroaches. Okay, so that's the first first blue collar one. The other hold version on, of that. Hold on, listen to this. So I'm I'm just trying to find there, here it is. Okay, so I I know a guy. He spoke at HustleCon. His name's Gabe. Gabriel Una Asaseki. Asta Seki. Yeah, I know this guy. So what he did was he he he's a friend of mine. Uh he started this company where basically uh, they did lead gen. So it was called CalFinder. So if you Google California home painting, California pest control, you get brought to their website. They just do a better job of displaying information. You submit a lead, they send it to a paint company and that paint company pays them $5 for that email address. Yep. The way it started is he bought a yellow notepad and he went door to door to find people who would be interested in having their home painted. He collected a, a list of 100 names in the first day. And then he sold that for $10,000 to a variety different like different paint paint companies and he did that a yep. couple more times and then he eventually created, created a, a proper company that made 20 million dollars a year in sales so that's the outcome or potential outcome to that yeah so the downside of this is your kids might start making more than you do a year uh but the upside is they'll learn a lot about business all right so that's the first one you, you could do this with anything pool fencing hey i notice you have a pool but you don't have a fence you know it's against California law to, to have a fence without a pool when you have kids. Um, you know, would you like us to come out and give you an estimate of how much that would cost to keep it safe? And, you know, so you could do pool fencing, pest control, home painting, whatever. doesn't matter. Um, so, I, so my specific idea would be blue collar lead gen. That's number one. Number two, events. So you've hosted conferences and events. I think that you could, if you're a teenager, I think you could host a neighborhood fair. Here's how this works. You go out, you rent the bouncy house, the slip and slide, all the stuff that like for one individual home to do, it's kind of an expensive birthday party. But if you're going to do it and amortize it across, around, across the, the cost of the whole neighborhood, it's actually not a bad idea. And so I would create the neighborhood fair. I would charge for entry. I would, uh, I would have a local sponsor, you know, the local bank could sponsor it because who could turn down your kid's smile and saying, hey, I'm hosting the neighborhood fair. Would you be a sponsor for us for $500 or whatever? And, um, you know, all the proceeds go to us as kids, <laughs> and, you know, to fund my own education. And so I would basically rent a bunch of cool stuff, have cotton candy, have all the stuff, charge tickets and uh, neighborhood fair. That's my second idea. Events. What do you think of that one? I think that's okay. I would do the first one over the second one. The second one sounds like a pain in the butt. I'm just giving them options here. I'm giving them options. That's all right. right. Number three. I, I keep swinging. Three, the theme of this one is little kids acting like adults. So we've all had the like kind of fundraiser thing where you you go door to door and you say, hey, would you like to buy, you know, cookie dough and ice cream and wrapping paper for our like school charity? Great. So here's my twist on that. My twist on that is that you call it the uh, the Bitcoin Junior Club or something, the Bitcoin Kids Club. And basically, you go door to door and say, hey, I'm really interested in Bitcoin. Have you heard about Bitcoin? Yeah, I've heard of Bitcoin. Well, hey, the neighborhood, we want to create, we, uh, you know, two of us, three of us, kids in the neighborhood, we are creating the first kids Bitcoin club. And what we want is 
for every house to invest somewhere between you know about $100, and we're going to buy Bitcoin, and, and you're going to own it, and we're going to take a management fee on top of what we of of the of managing the money, right? So we're going to create a little investment club. We want to learn about finance and money. This is a great way for us to do it. And for you, you'll be owning Bitcoin and we're, we're going to help you out. We're going to teach you all about it. We're going to give a presentation at the end. Um, and, you know, hey, if your kid wants to be involved in the club, they can too. And so I would create this little, I would create a small little money management fund and I would try to get houses to give me, you know, a thousand bucks if they can, depending on your neighborhood. This is either impossible or it'll be easy. And um, I would go to the rich neighborhoods and I would say, that's what we're doing. And for them, they actually get to own an asset. So it's not like they're just giving away the money. They're actually going to get the asset, but you're going to charge, you know, your, well, instead of a normal 2% fee, we're going to call it a 10% fee that you're going to take in exchange for managing the money. And then you're going to send out a newsletter of the report about what's going on in Bitcoin. I think it's awesome. I think that it's just like, yes, this is an easy, yeah. It's just, it's cute enough that it justifies sending your kid to hang out with people. Exactly. Okay. So those are three ideas. The way I was thinking about this, and this is another piece is like, how do you even brainstorm this? So when I brainstorm, I don't think about what's the idea, right? I'll think about two things. So the first thing I thought of was, what do I remember from my childhood? And then what's the 20% twist I could put on this, right? So that's the fundraising idea. But the twist is now it's for Bitcoin, right? Or uh, I used to mow lawns, but the twist is actually I'm going to like sell those leads to a lawn mowing service. That's the first way I think about things. What do I already know that I can just put a 20% twist on to make it fit this situation? The second thing is, I don't look for answers when I brainstorm. I look for questions. So here's the questions I wrote down before I brainstormed this. I said, what's cute when a kid does it, but annoying if an adult did it? That's a great question. I started brainstorming ideas, right? The second one is, what's fun for kids, but boring for adults? Like, you know, my daughter, she loves like cleaning. Like if I let her clean, she'll clean a folding. She loves to fold. Uh, Kids, actually, like I used to have a lot of fun mowing lawns, but like as an adult, I hate to go mow mow my lawn now. And so if I know something that's fun for a kid, boring for an adult, we can have them do it. The next one is, what are kids actually just good at that adults are bad at? So there's just things that kids are just better at. Okay, what are those? And then lastly, what amount of money is a win for a kid but would not be a win for an adult? Because then the kid can do it and they would be happy with it. But no, an adult won't do it because this is not enough uh, money there for, for the, to fill the void of what they're looking for, the opportunity cost. And so that's how I brainstormed this. So that's just a little peek under the hood about how to think about stuff like this is don't look for the answer look ask a bunch of questions and then spitball if i for my kid i would probably have them i would think of what skill should they learn now that they won't have time to learn in the future so uh for for them that that will have big impact for them i think it would be door i selling i think door to door selling and i would sell i would send them to it like a uh an amco or i think it's or sorry cutco or some type of like door-to-door knife or door-to-door books, some type of cutthroat time where it's like, look, you're going to spend three months for two two different summers in a row. You're going to do this. You're, you're not going to like it at first, but right. the skill that you learn, you're never going to be able to learn this again like this in your life. And it's going to, it'll, it'll change your world right. if you get good at this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, we're, not, we're not going to baseball camp. We're going to Cutco camp. You're going to learn how to sell knives door-to-door this summer. That's what that's I 100%, literally what I'm going to do. That, that, I think that would be the right move. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so those are my teenage side hustles. To the, I forgot the person who wrote in. To whoever wrote in, that's my answer. Sorry, I haven't emailed you. Dan, what do you think? Did we, we meandered a little bit? Yeah, I really liked the end. I used to sell calendars in high school door-to-door. Got a free that's ticket to prom. By the way, another my brain's still firing on ideas. Here's another one. 
digitize the neighborhood's home videos. Everybody I know who's like kind of like my parents' age, they have a bunch of photos and albums and videos on like little cassette players. That's a great business for And they're worried that those are all going to go away. And you just say, hey, I'm going to drop this box off in front of every door and I'm just going to put a sticker on it. And I'm going to say, put your put your photos and videos in here. I'm going to give it back to you, you know, sort of, I'm going to send you, uh, it'll, I'll put it in the cloud for you. So you'll have these forever in good quality and you'll never have to worry about these going bad or, or losing this box or water spilling on it or anything like that. Let's, let's save your memories. I, I, I think, think that's every, a genius one. That's the, the G that's incredibly smart because you don't need to be that good at doing it. You just have to have time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, we could basically just go drive it to like Costco or whoever does this, but, or you could do it yourself. Uh, Costco does again, this? Uh, I don't know if it's Costco, but like some of these, yeah, one of the retailers, they do this. They'll digitize. That's a great stuff. service to offer uh, offer because your, your time's free. Yeah, right. I would. That's a good one. <laughs> that's what I would do. I would pick that one. Um, all right. I guess that's the episode. We'll see what people think of that. I thought it was actually quite good. I enjoy hearing stories. I uh, love people. So we'll see if it's good. Yeah. Let us know. Uh, tweet at Sam. He's the Sam Parr on Twitter. Tweet at me. I'm Sean VP. And uh, let us know what you think of the episodes. We take that feedback, and that's how we adjust. Oh. A little less randomness, a little less life advice, a little more ideas, a little more stories about wealthy people, or whatever you guys want. So let us know how, how you want us to shift it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Oh, yeah.